Well, welcome to part three of our Essentials series. We're preaching our way through our doctrinal statement, looking at essential beliefs that every follower of Jesus Christ should understand and believe. And today we're looking at what we believe about Jesus. And so on your notes on the screen, we have our doctrinal statement about Christ. It says, we believe in the deity, virgin birth, sacrificial death, bodily resurrection, and the present high priestly ministry of Jesus Christ. We believe in the personal and imminent return of Jesus Christ. And we reduced this statement down to two sentences in order to keep it simple. But if I were to load you all up on buses and take you to a Bible college or to a seminary or even to a secular university, and we were to walk into their library and go to the Christology section, we would find not just book after book after book, we would find shelf after shelf after shelf of books seeking to define and describe who Jesus Christ is. And many of those books are helpful, but in the Bible, we have four books that were written about Jesus Christ. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, original followers of Jesus Christ who each wrote their account of Jesus' birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and the promise of his return. And we have four Gospels, and, and each of them was written for a specific audience with a specific purpose in mind. That's why they're the same but different. They're the same because they all talk about Jesus Christ, and they're different because they all have a specific audience and a specific purpose for which they were written. Matthew's gospel was written to a Jewish audience, and it was written to prove that Jesus Christ was the promised Messiah, the King of the Jews. That's why Matthew begins his account with the genealogy of Jesus, because if you're going to prove somebody's the king, you've got to prove their heritage, their lineage, that they're part of the royal line. Mark's gospel was written to present Jesus as a humble, obedient servant of God. And that's why Mark begins his gospel with Jesus' preparation, his validation for ministry. And so he starts with Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist and then tempted in the wilderness for 40 days by the devil. Mark doesn't need a genealogy because his emphasis is on Christ's ministry, not his heritage and lineage. Uh, Luke's gospel presents Christ as the perfect human savior. He focuses on the humanity of Christ. That's why his gospel begins with the birth of Jesus. We get the traditional Christmas story out of Luke's gospel. John's gospel was written to prove that Jesus was the God Savior. The whole focus is on Jesus as God, as divine. Four specific audiences, four specific purposes. But they all tell the story of Jesus. Uh, this past week, I had the opportunity to meet with 100 pastors from around the world, over 30 countries, and one of the guys shared the story of his father's conversion uh, to Jesus Christ. Uh, his father, as a young man, was dying of tuberculosis. And one day, there was a knock on his door, and a little girl, he opened the door, and a little girl standing there, and she said, Sir, I've come to tell you about Jesus. And he slammed the door, he said to her, I don't want to hear about Jesus, go away, I don't want to hear anything from you, and slammed the door. And the next day, there's a knock on the door, a little girl standing there, and she says, sir, I've come to tell you about Jesus. And he said, I told you, I don't want to hear anything about Jesus, I want you to go away, leave me alone. And then he noticed that the little girl was crying, she had tears, tears running down her face. He said, why are you crying? She said, sir, I'm crying for you. He said, nobody's ever cried for me before in my life. 
uh, come in and, and tell me what you've got to say. And so the little girl came in and she shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with him and she gave him a Bible. And he said, uh, I'm going to read this book. And right there in front of her, he opened it up to Genesis and he started reading. And, and the little girl said to him, she said, sir, you need to start over here in the Matthew part of the book. Because if you start at Genesis, you'll be dead before you get to the saving part. And so the man started reading the Gospels of Jesus Christ, gave his heart to Christ, was healed of his tuberculosis, and planted a church that became the largest church in Sri Lanka. That's the power of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, today I've got two passages on your notes and on the screen that we're going to kind of bounce back and forth, so I'm going to need you to be flexible and stick with me. We're going to be looking in the book of Hebrews, and we're also going to be looking in the Gospel of John. But John tells us why he wrote his gospel. In John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John says, Jesus did a whole bunch of other stuff that I and the other disciples saw, but there's just so much of it we couldn't write it all down. But what we wrote down, what I wrote down in my gospel, I wrote down so that you would believe that Jesus is God and you would find eternal life. And so our emphasis today is going to be on the deity of Jesus Christ. Because if you're going to understand Jesus, you've got to understand and believe that Jesus is God. I want to start out uh, uh, here by looking at the passage from the book of, of Hebrews. The, the book of Hebrews takes us on an amazing journey, a journey into salvation, a journey into the mysteries of God, into the purposes of life. But the book begins with a declaration about who Jesus is. It says, Long ago God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. So we got all these prophets. We got Elijah and Elisha and, and Daniel and Isaiah and Jeremiah and, and uh, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Haggai, Malachi. We got all these prophets in the Old Testament. We've got their, their sermons and their stories written down for us. And they were God's spokesmen in their day and still speak to us today. But in these final days, he, God, has spoken to us through his Son. We used to get our message through prophets, but once Jesus arrived on earth through the virgin birth, Jesus is now the one who's defining who God is. Jesus is the lens through which we see God. We don't understand God through our own feeble efforts. It's not, well, I think God's like, and then I think God's like, and then we create God in our own image. No, we understand God through the lens of Jesus Christ. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son, he created the universe. Jesus is the creator of everything that exists. Every nebula in the universe, every micromolecular structure in your body, from the greatest and farthest to the tiniest and nearest, Jesus Christ created it all. Every living thing, every non-living thing, Jesus Christ created it. Now, we have an image in our minds of Jesus. We, we, we tend to picture Jesus with sandals and a robe and long hair and a beard and 
You know, he's just and he's going to a wedding and making some wine, and he's going to a funeral and raising the guy from the dead, and he's fishing and catching a lot of fish. He's just kind of this homeless hippie that lives in his friends' houses. Okay, that that's that's just a very small season of the incarnation. The bigger story is that Jesus is the creator of all things. He's the heir of all things. If you want to know what the most important thing is in everything, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything. Circle that phrase, sustains everything. By the mighty power of his command. Last week, Ryland laid out that, that God's glory, God's weight and worth is not just our motivation, it's God's motivation. And that's why you, you, you can't separate the God message from the Jesus message because if you want to know who God is, it's the Son that radiates his glory, it's the Son who expresses the very character of God. If you want to know who God is, we need to know who Jesus is. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. Jesus didn't cease to minister for us when he left earth. He's he's in heaven right now ministering on our behalf. And so Jesus was God before he came at Christmas. Jesus was God while he lived here on earth. Jesus was God when he was dying on the cross. Jesus is God right now while he's in heaven. And Jesus will be God when he comes back. Some people try to say that Jesus was simply a good teacher. Some religions say that he was simply a good prophet. Do you know the Quran has more to say about Jesus than it does about Muhammad? But it says the wrong stuff about him. It says he's a great prophet, a great teacher. Some argue that, that Jesus was only sent by God. He's not God, he was just sent by God. But the Gospels uh, tell a much more decisive view of Jesus Christ. And the Christian faith depends on Jesus being who he claimed to be. And every other faith depends on Jesus not being who he claimed to be. Big difference. And the gospel writers declare that God and Jesus were one and the same. Not the same person, but the same essence. They're distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They're not different, but they are distinct. Now, the Apostle John's purpose in writing his gospel was these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John's gospel was written to awaken faith in unbelievers, and it was written to sustain the faith of believers. And to do it in such a way that for both of those, for, that unbelievers might become believers and that believers would be strong believers and that, that everyone would wind up with eternal life. Now this is an eyewitness account. Uh, five times in John's Gospel we, we find these unusual words. It says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And we learn in John 21, 24, that the disciple whom Jesus loved, this is the disciple who's bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. the, The book was written by John, the follower of Jesus Christ. 
And it's divinely inspired. It's written by John, but it's inspired by God. That's what Jesus promised in John 14, 26. He says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So Jesus chose the apostles to be his representatives. He saved them, he taught them, he sent them out, and then he gave them, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he gave them uh, divine guidance in writing the Scripture to be the foundation of the church. These aren't just John's words, these are God's words. The opening remarks of John's Gospel proclaim Jesus as God. first three verses says, In the beginning was the word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Now, as you read through the Gospels, you don't find Jesus saying the words, I am God. You don't find the words. But Jesus' claim to be God to his first century audience would have, been, would have been explicit. It would have been so clear. It was unmistakable to his followers and to the people around him. Uh, Jesus wasn't arrested for being a prophet. Jesus wasn't, wasn't persecuted for his teachings or for his miracles. He wasn't crucified for claiming to be a good teacher. He was crucified for claiming to be God. You know, people ask Jesus the same question we ask, would ask him if he were here today. Who are you? Uh, who do you think you are? And John tells us in John 8, 58, Jesus' response to that. He says, very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. And that claim would have been clear to Jesus' audience. I am was the name for God given to Moses on Mount Sinai when he got the Ten Commandments. Jesus' audience understood his claim to divinity, and and they didn't respond by calling him a good teacher. They responded by trying to kill him. They responded with the proper legal response according to the law. You know, Jews who heard this statement took up stones to kill Jesus for blasphemy. And the irony is that the real blasphemers were the people who cursed and attacked the very God they thought they were defending. And Jesus, God, could could have rightly killed them under the same law and just wiped them out. But instead, in that situation, the Bible says Jesus hid himself from them and just walked out of the crowd. It's a demonstration of God's compassion. It's a demonstration of what Jesus' message and method really were. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, not to destroy them. He came to to earth to bring an end to death, not to kill people. Later, the the people are still not satisfied. They surround Jesus again and they said, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus said, I've already told you. And you don't believe me. The proof is the work I do in my Father's name. Again, they picked up stones to kill him. They said, we're stoning you, not for any good work, because they saw his good works. We're stoning you for blasphemy. You, a mere man, claim to be God. But Jesus wasn't a mere man. His good works proved that he was God. You know, Jesus often kept his good works and his claims discreet. Jesus didn't need to make these big, explicit pronouncements to be God. He just proved it in every other way. 
You know, he healed where there was no hope of healing. He, he could control the weather and the wind and the waves and the storm. He, he could raise the dead. He rose himself from the dead. A liar or an imposter only has his claim to be God. A fraud or impersonator has to debate, argue, convince, because they have no other ground to stand on. But Jesus' works proved that he was who he said he was. The prophecies that Jesus fulfilled are probably his greatest proof of his deity. Over 380 prophecies that Jesus Christ fulfilled in his lifetime. Just a few of them on your notes on the screen today. Old Testament prophesied the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. He would be born of a virgin. He would be called Emmanuel. He would be a descendant of Isaac and Jacob. He would spend time in Egypt. Children would be killed at his birthplace. He would be rejected and despised by his own people. He would be declared the Son of God. He would be called a Nazarene. He would speak in parables. He would be praised by little children. He would be falsely accused. He would be crucified with criminals. His bones would not be broken. Soldiers would pierce his side. He would be a sacrifice for sin. He would rise from the dead. He would ascend into heaven. The gospel showed Jesus fulfilling all these prophecies and many, many more. They prove that he is who he said he was. They prove that Jesus Christ was fully human and fully God. The Word became human and made his home among us. That's why Jesus never rebuked people when they worshipped him. You know, many people believed in Jesus and they bowed down and called him Lord. They'd call him God. He never told them not to worship him. And yet, throughout Scripture, whenever a being sent from God, whenever an angel The angels would warn people not to worship them. In fact, John had that very experience in the book of Revelation. He wrote the gospel. He also wrote the book of Revelation. And there in Revelation 19, he says, At this I fell at his feet to worship him. An angel appeared to him. I fell at his feet to worship him. But the angel said to me, Don't do that! I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. But Jesus welcomed worship. It says, then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. John 9, then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. If Jesus were just a being sent by God, then just like the angels, he'd just say, no, 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 don't worship me. But he doesn't. Because he knew that he was God. He knew the best thing people could do was to give him praise and adoration. Now John's gospel begins with, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And then in John 1.14 he says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word refers to Jesus Christ. Now John knows that in the next 21 chapters of his gospel, he's going to tell you the story of what Jesus did and what he taught. The book is about the life and words and works of Jesus Christ. A man that John knew and saw and heard and touched. I mean, Jesus had flesh and blood. He's not some ghost or apparition that appears and then disappears. No, he ate, he drank, he got tired, he slept. John knew Jesus very closely. And so what John is doing in the first three verses of his gospel is he's telling us the most important things about Jesus Christ. 
It took John more than three years to figure out who Jesus is. He doesn't want his readers to take more than three verses (laughs) to know who he is. He wants us to know right off, Jesus Christ was God. He wants us to read this gospel worshipfully, humbly, submissively, awestruck that the man at the wedding, the man at the well, the man on the mountain, the man on the cross is the creator of the universe. That's the structure of this book. That's the way God inspired John to lay it out. Now, if you and I were to write it, we might want to be a little more subtle, a little more creative. We might want to kind of hold back some of Jesus' identity and create some tension and interest. Who is this guy? Who is this guy? And reveal it as the story goes on. No, 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 no. The very first words off the end of John's pen just blow you away with the declaration that Jesus Christ is God. He is God who became flesh and lived among us. So there's no misunderstanding. John wants us to read every word of this gospel with the clear, solid knowledge that Jesus Christ was with God, Jesus Christ is God, and that the one who laid down his life for us is the one who created us. Now why does he say word? John calls Jesus the word Because he'd come to see that God's message to us is not just what Jesus said, but it's what Jesus did, it's what Jesus was, is. His words clarified who he was, and his works authenticated his words. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the truth. And so Jesus is God's decisive, final message to the world. Prophets used to speak, Jesus has spoken now. Revelation 19.13, John uh, describes Jesus' glorious return. He says, he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and by the name which he is called is the Word of God. Jesus is called the Word of God when he returns to the earth. Two verses later, John says, from his mouth comes a sharp sword. Jesus strikes the nations with the power of the Word of God that he speaks. But the power of that word is so united with who he is himself that John doesn't just say that he speaks the word, he says he is the word of God. Same thing in Hebrews 1, 1, 1. It says, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, the Son of God incarnate, God in the flesh, is God's climactic, decisive word to the world. Now, four observations about Jesus. Well, what does John want to tell us first about this man, Jesus Christ, whose words and works fill the rest of his gospel? Well, John wants to tell us four things about Jesus. The first one is the time of his existence. If I were to tell you a story or or you were to read a book or watch a movie about someone, one of the first questions you have is, is what time is it? When did this guy live? When did these events take place? Because that sets the context for you to understand the character and understand the story. And so verse 1 begins with, in the beginning was the word. And in the beginning, those words are identical to the words that start the Bible in the Old Testament. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's not an accident. Because the first thing John's going to tell you in his gospel is that Jesus Christ is the one who created everything. So he, the words in the beginning mean before there was any created matter, before there was any energy, before there was anything, there was the Word, the Son of God. 
He locates Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, in relation to time. Namely, he's before time. Jude was another follower of Jesus Christ. He didn't write a gospel, but he wrote wrote a book in the Bible, and, and he says this, To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority, before all time, and now, and forever. Amen. Before all time, now, and forever. Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.9 that God gave us grace in Christ Jesus before the times of the ages. So before there was any time, there was the word, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's who we're going to meet in this gospel. Second observation is the essence of his identity. You know, the end of verse 1, John says, the word was God. One of the marks of John's gospel is, is that he says the weightiest things in the simplest words. I mean, this could not get simpler, and it could not be weightier. The Word was God. We worship Jesus Christ as God. We fall down like Thomas, another follower, who who fell before Jesus and said, My Lord and my God. When we hear the Jewish leaders say in John 10, 33, it's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. We just want to cry out, no, it's not blasphemy. He's not a mere man. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. He's our God. If a Jehovah's Witness or a Muslim ever says to you, no, no, this is a mistranslation. It should not read the word was God. It should read the word was a God, with a little g. He's a God. Well, there's a way right here in the context that you can know that's wrong. And I'm going to show it to you on the last point, so stay awake. But first, number three, let's look at his relationship to God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. This is the foundation of the great historic doctrine of the Trinity. The Word, Jesus Christ, was with God and He was God. He is God and He has a relationship with God. There's one divine essence, three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And they are in relationship with one another. The, the, the whole God thing is about relationships. The whole church thing is about relationships. That's why we push you so hard to get you plugged into small groups around here. Because if you want to understand God, it's got to happen in relationships. If you want to understand the church, it's got to happen in relationships. Because God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are in a relationship with one another. And through the work of Jesus Christ, we're brought into a relationship with them and a relationship with every other believer. That's the wonder and the mystery of the church, the body of Christ, the family of God. Now this is important, his relationship to God, because if Jesus is not God, then he can't accomplish your salvation. If you throw away the deity of Christ, you throw away your soul and the hope of heaven. I love the phrase from the old hymn, Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? He's in relationship with God, and I'm in relationship with him. Fourth observation is his relationship to the world, to creation. 
He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Christ is the Father's agent. He's the word through which creation happened. Jesus is your maker. Jesus was not made. Now suppose a Muslim or a Jehovah's Witness or some other heresy says, well, Jesus isn't God. He's not eternal. He was created. Yes, he was the first of creation. He's the highest created being. He's the highest angel. He, but he was created first, and then he created everything else. But John has written this in a way that, that, that just simply can't be true. He didn't just say all things were made through him. He didn't leave it at that. He says, and without him was not anything made that was made. And that makes it explicitly, emphatically, crystal clear that anything in the category of made, Christ made it. So Christ was not made. He existed. He had to exist before anything else that was made was made. Jesus was not made. He made us. He saves us. He sustains us. Hebrews tells us that it's the command of Christ. It's the very words of Christ. Colossians tells us that, that, that it's the power of Christ that holds the very molecules, the very atoms of the universe together. If Jesus Christ let go, we just all fly apart. He sustains us. We believe in the deity virgin birth, sacrificial death, bodily resurrection, and the present high priestly ministry of Jesus Christ. We believe in the personal and imminent return of Jesus Christ. Folks, every bit of that is important. Every bit of that is important, but it begins with the belief and the understanding that Jesus Christ is God. John says that he wrote his gospel so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you would have life in his name. Let's pray together. If you're here today and you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, I I just pray that this has been an encouragement to you to realize that, that, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, created you, he saves you, he sustains you. And if you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, my desire would be that that these words would lead you to a belief in Christ that would give you the hope of an abundant eternal life in him. That in this moment you, you might say, yes, God, I believe. I see Jesus for who he is. And I understand now that, that he's your son, he's God. And that he came to earth and lived among us, and he died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And then he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven for me, for his glory, for your glory, Lord. And God, I want to be a part of that. I want to share in that relationship. And so today, I trust in Jesus Christ. I believe he is who he said he is. I believe he did for me what he said he would do. And I believe he's coming back one day. God, thank you for the hope of eternal life through Jesus Christ, your son, the creator and inheritor of all things. In his name we pray. Amen.